So this morning we're continuing on in a teaching series where we're looking together at uh, some of the songs that the ancient people of Israel used in their worship life together. We know them as psalms. It's a collection of 140 songs and poems that we have in the Old Testament. And uh, the one we're going to look at this morning is Psalm 121. So I would encourage you to turn there in your Bible. If it would help you for any reason, there's some red Bibles in those seats around you. You can grab one of those and turn to the page number there on the screen to read along with us. But as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of background on the people of Israel and their history to understand kind of where this psalm fits. So the the opening books of what we know as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, tell the story about how God reached out to one man, Abraham, said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, the nation of Israel. I'm going to use the nation of Israel to bring hope and uh, freedom and forgiveness to the whole world. So he tricks along. The people of Israel spend some time in Egypt in slavery. God rescues them in this amazing way in the Exodus. And then he brings them to the land where they're going to live together. But when he does that, he gives them some guidelines that he wants them to live according to these guidelines while they're there in the land. And if you read through those guidelines, one of the things that he told them to do is he instituted an annual series of feasts, basically of these celebrations where the people of Israel would come together and remember specific things about who God is and how he had acted on their behalf throughout history. And part of the deal was, even if you didn't live in the capital in Jerusalem, if you were able, the expectation is that you would travel to Jerusalem three times each year to participate in these festivals. So a lot of people didn't live in Jerusalem. So three times a year, they're making this trip. And many of them did what we do when we're on road trips, uh, which at least when I'm on a road trip, I just listen to songs and we sing along and we do that. So about 15 of the psalms that we have in the, the broader book of psalms are what are known as the songs of ascent. And they're poems, they're songs that the people of Israel would sing as they were on the journey to Jerusalem or as they were there in Jerusalem for these festivals. And the psalm we're going to look at today, Psalm 121, is one of those. And as you read through it, I mean, you see in the language of it, it's, it's very, very clearly about somebody who is on a journey. But it's also about so much more than that. As it, at its heart, it's really about the God who is with us wherever our journey in life takes us. Uh, it's about a God who is with us in the midst of a world that can be pretty scary and difficult at times. And it seemed like a, a good idea to talk about that idea today because, I mean, if we're being honest, like, it can be a pretty rough world out there, right? I mean, we see that all around us. Just uh, one example. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that, that teenagers today, the group that's graduating high school in the early years, kind of college age, are arguably the most anxiety-ridden and fearful generation that has ever existed in the U.S.? So Time Magazine, somebody's nodding. Yeah, Time Magazine, uh, an article described it this way. It said, they are the post-9-11 generation, raised in an era of economic and national insecurity. They have never known a time when terrorism and school shootings weren't the norm. They grew up watching their parents weather a severe recession, and perhaps most importantly, they hit puberty at a time when technology and social media were transforming society. So the article goes on to report that about 30% of teenage girls and 20% of teenage boys suffer from anxiety disorders. And here's the kicker. This article was published five years ago, so before COVID and before all of the disruptions that that introduced in all of our lives. So you can just imagine what the numbers would be like today. But it's not just this question of anxiety that makes the world a challenging place, right? I mean, sometimes in life, we just experience real disappointments, right? We put our hope in something and it doesn't come through. Uh, we work towards a goal and the unexpected happens, right? We, we don't get the promotion. Instead, we end up losing our job because the company downsizes. We invested and kind of bet it all on a marriage or a relationship and it doesn't work out the way that we thought it would. 
you know, sometimes we just kind of feel under attack from the world and the unfairness of it all. It just kind of seems to pile on us and we wonder why does it have to be like this? Where is God in the middle of all this? Where are we going to find the strength to keep going? Well, the good news is that the Psalms were written specifically to this world, to, to this reality of life that we deal with. That's what the book of Psalms is all about. It's about how we can honestly bring whatever we are thinking and feeling and experiencing to God, whether that's joy and thanksgiving or lament or anger or frustration or questions, whatever that might be, we can bring them to God. And we see how God meets us right where we are, how how he speaks to us right where we are. And so today what we're going to see is that the psalm reminds us that even though we walk through a world that can be full of dangers and full of challenges and full of things that we don't fully understand, we don't have to be afraid. Because we know that God is with us in the midst of all of that. He's with us, and he's looking out for us. So what I want us to do to get started is I, I want us to actually read the psalm out loud together. It's not a very long psalm. It's only, only eight verses. So I'd like us to, to take a moment and read it and just, and just hear what it has to say. And I know that we use different translations of the Bible in English. For some of us, English isn't our native language. We may be reading the text in our native language. So we're just going to put one translation, the NIV, up here on the screen so that we can read it together and actually say it. And in the first service, I actually skipped two verses while I was reading this. So anyway, I've had more coffee since then, so we're ready to go. So if you guys are ready, let's read this out loud together. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. So before we work our way through this text, I just want to invite you to pray with me. Uh, God, thank you for the gift of the Bible and for the ways that it helps us understand you and how you want to be at work in our lives and in our world. So as we approach this ancient song today, uh, we ask that you would open our eyes to see your truth and give us the wisdom and the courage to know how to apply it to our lives today. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 121. As you were reading through it, you may have noticed that there were words and phrases that get repeated a lot. So five different times in this psalm, we actually read the name of God, right, the Lord. And in addition to that, five different times in the psalm, there's some version of this phrase, he watches over you, he is watching over you, he will watch over you. And if you think about it, in a poem this short... If the the poet goes out of their way to repeat themselves this many times, that's kind of the poet's way of like getting flares out and dancing around and trying to get your attention and saying, hey, there's there's a main point that I'm trying to drive home here. And the big idea in in this poem is really wrapped up in that. It's the idea that the Lord is with you. He is watching over you. You're not alone on this journey. And again, if you look at the, if you're reading the text in the Bible, even before you get to the text of the psalm, you have that little title there that reminds you that this is one of the songs of ascent, one of the poems that the people of Israel would recite as they're traveling to Jerusalem. And as you read through it, you can almost hear two different voices. Like the first is the voice of the person who's traveling, right? It's, it's the first person. It talks about I and we. And they start out in verse one with a question. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? 
Now, traveling in the mountains was not easy in that day and age. I mean, for one thing, they didn't have cars or things like that. But traveling in the mountains, especially in the first century in Israel, was particularly difficult because it was a dangerous place. Like, there's all these switchbacks and turns as you're going through mountain roads, so bands of armed robbers could be there. You know, when you're traveling, you're away from your home and the security you normally have, like, you're at risk. So if you know that story uh, that Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan, the guy who gets mugged is on the road going from Jericho up to Jerusalem. So he's on one of the roads that these pilgrims would be on. So the roads are dangerous because of what can happen in the mountains. Um, but it's also a difficult journey to go up the mountain, not just because of the dangers are there, but because of the fact that they're mountains, right? They're, they're these big mountains that you have to climb. Uh, you know, they're on, and picture yourself, put yourself in the shoes of somebody going, right? You're on your way to Jerusalem for this festival. Let's say you live up in the northern part of the country where a lot of people live. By the time you get here, where you're, you're starting that final ascent, 2,500 feet up to Jerusalem, you've already been walking for three days, right? You've already got a lot of miles under your belt, and you look, and you're like, oh, geez, I, now I got to keep going? How am I going to get up here? And it, it's a little bit, it reminds me a little bit of the, the one and only time that I ran a 15K race. So 15K is about nine miles. There's a race uh, they do every year in Tulsa called the Tulsa Run. And I decided, okay, I'm going to run this. Um, Martha had done it before. Martha's much more of a runner than I am. But we decided, like, let, let's do this, right? So we both do the training and everything like that. And then we get to race day. And the nice thing about the Tulsa Run is that the course that you run it on is very flat. I mean, if you've ever been to the Midwest, like, like looking your, eye, your eyes up to the mountains doesn't make sense out there, right? Because it's all very flat. So the first eight miles of this course, you kind of run out through this park, and then you, you run back on Riverside Drive. It's totally flat. And I'm cruising along. I realize as I get to mile eight, this is the very first time in my entire life that I have run eight miles without stopping. Even when I was training, I'd do that. I'd walk a little bit. But I'm like, oh my gosh, I've run eight. Like, I might be able to run this whole race without stopping. Like, I had no idea that I would ever be able to do that. And then, you know, Martha and I, we're, we're running along. And then we, we kind of start to go into downtown, and we turn the corner for the last mile of the race on 18th Street. And I kid you not, the entire last mile of the race is uphill. And the way Tulsa's laid out, it's in grid. So when you turn, like, you see an entire mile of going uphill and people struggling their way up the hill. And I just thought, what incredibly cruel and sadistic person <laughs> designed this course? What on earth were they thinking? But I... I read this poem, and I imagine that that's something like what the poet is thinking, right? Like 99% of the journey is done, and he gets close to the end, and he's like, oh my gosh, it's all uphill from here. So he says, where is the strength and the help to do this? Where's that going to come from? And then in verse 2, he, he answers his own question. He says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So he's like, all right, my help is coming from God. But then he adds a little phrase to describe who this God is. He says, he's the one who made heaven and earth, which is an interesting little thing to add on to it, but it tells you something. I mean, the speaker looks at the mountains, and he sees the dangers. He sees the difficulties. He starts to have some fear growing inside him. He's wondering how he's going to do this. And he wonders, who's going to help me make that long journey uphill? But then he remembers that the one who stands ready to help him is the one who created the mountain in the first place. Right? So whatever dangers the mountain might hold, surely they, they can't hold up against the power of the one who actually made the mountains there. And it, it's a little bit like a story I heard once. I, I'm pretty sure the story is not true, but I'll tell it anyway because I have a microphone. Um, so the story is told where there's this guy on a plane. You know, this is like 20 years ago. And he's working on a plane. He's on his laptop. He's working on some important document in Microsoft Word. And he's been working on it the whole flight, like hours go into it. And just as you're getting ready to land, something goes wrong, as happens, right, on computers. 
and he is terrified that he has lost all of the work that he's been doing for the last couple of hours. And he starts thinking, oh my gosh, is, surely there's some function where I can go back and do this. And he's looking around, he's not having any luck. And he gets tapped on the shoulder. And this guy looks at him and he says, hey, I, I see you're struggling a little bit with Microsoft Word. Like, is there anything I can do to help you with that? I may know a trick or two. My name is Bill Gates. And I, I started Microsoft. Now, again, Bill Gates probably hadn't flown on a plane with normal people in a long time, but yeah, you get the idea, right? Like, it would be a very different experience for you to face a set of challenges if the person who created the thing that's causing the challenges in the first place is right there with you, offering to help. And that's what the, the speaker realizes. And then at this point, you get to verse 3, and the speaker shifts. The first two verses, it's the traveler speaking. And the last six verses of the poem are really somebody else speaking words of hope and encouragement to the traveler. It's almost like they're looking ahead to the different situations the traveler is going to experience and talking about how God's going to be able to protect them on the journey. So in verse 3, it starts out this way. It says, he will not let your foot slip. Now, just a question by show of hands. Um, how many of you have ever gone on a hike? Yeah, I mean, it's Oregon, right? Like I figure everybody's probably done. There's lots and lots of beautiful places to hike and explore here. But my guess is if you've ever been hiking, you've also probably had the experience of putting your foot down in the wrong spot and feeling it slip, right? Which can be a little bit scary. And sometimes that's not a big deal. You're like, oh, you know, but whatever. But not every place that you can go to hike in Oregon is safe, right? Every year there are stories of people who are out hiking too close to the cliffs at the coast and they fall and die. Not too long ago, somebody on one of the sisters fell and died, right? There are places where it's really actually dangerous when you're hiking. And on the road to Jerusalem, for people making that, that travel back, like, there were parts of the road that were dangerous. So it's interesting that the poet doesn't try to pretty things up. He doesn't mince words and say something like, you know, as long as you're walking with God, your feet are always going to be in a good spot. You're never going to slip. You're never going to go through difficulties. In fact, if you just remember, because remember, nowhere, nowhere in the Bible does it promise us that if we do all the right religious things and check things off the box, God is obligated to give us an easy, problem-free life where all of our dreams come true and all of our kids have perfect teeth and don't need braces and get into college, right? That's just not how it's going to go in this life. Instead, the speaker shares something that is really much more genuinely helpful for the real world that we live in. He says, look, I know that at times you're going to go through some dangerous terrain, but you're not going to be alone. You don't have to be afraid. The Lord will be with you, and he won't let your foot slip. Yes, you will walk in difficult places, but you're not going to go tumbling over the edge. God will see to that. And then the, the poet goes on, and this is where he starts to introduce that idea that we begin to hear over and over and over again about God watching over us. So back to verse 3, he says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. So God is actively watching over you. And, and you know, as opposed to like the, a night watchman who's a human, like they may get tired at three in the morning and fall asleep on the job because sometimes it's boring when you're working the overnight shift. But he says God's not like that. God doesn't need to sleep. So there's never going to be a moment where he's not present, where he's not paying attention, where he's not focused on you no matter what challenge may come your way. And then when you, you start to get into verse five, you get into my very favorite part of the psalm and it says this. It says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun won't harm you by day, nor the moon by night. So again, it reminds us, once again, it reminds us, the Lord is watching over us. But then it, it, it gives you all this stuff about the sun and the moon and the shade at your right hand. Like, what, what's going on there? Well, here's my take on that. So again, think about the, the, the actual reality of the pilgrims as they're traveling to Jerusalem. So let's say you live in the northern part of Israel, where a lot of people did, and you're making this journey south. So you're walking south 
So in the morning, when the sun is coming up in the east, the sun is coming up on your left side. Now, in the morning sun in the Middle East, it's bright, but it's not super blazingly scorching hot. When you get to the afternoon, and the sun is setting in the west and going down, and you're over, it's on your right hand, like, it's the Middle East, right? It's a desert. It is really, really brutally hot. In fact, my wife Martha and I had a chance to, to travel to Israel this summer. We were there for a couple of weeks, and I just want to share with you a photo of what happens when you wear socks for two weeks in the <laughs> Middle East. Like, this, this is the, the power of the sun there, right? It, it's, it's intense. There's not a lot of trees. There's not a lot of shade on the road. But if you're traveling, and you've got a big, tall person traveling with you who's going to be on the right side of you, right, who will be your shade at your right hand, well, that person's going to shield you from the shade and, and from the full brunt of the sun. And, and that's good for you, but it also means that your companion has really taken the, the hit there. They're taking the full heat of the sun so you don't have to. And the poet says that's how God operates with you. He's not just watching over you from a distance. He is right there. He's beside you every step of the way, standing in between you and the sun to keep you safe. So the sun won't harm you by day. And then it says the moon won't harm you by night, which again for us, we're like, well, that's really weird. Like, who of us are really worried about the moon? You know, but you know, again, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, there were a lot of different beliefs about the moon. And some people felt like, well, the moon is dangerous and can hurt you. And the poet is saying, like, even if that's what you believe, God's got you covered there too, right? Sun can't hurt you at day. The moon's not going to get you at night. And then the poet closes out this poem in verses 7 and 8 by doing something really amazing. He, he's been talking about the experience of the person as they travel and how God's watching over them. But then what he does is, is he takes that idea of God watching over you, and he just radically expands the scope of what that applies to. And he starts talking about how it's going to apply to every area of your life. He says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Right? It's not just about God being with you on the road trip anymore. It's really about how he's with you in any area of your life. And, and I think that's what's wrapped up in that phrase, you're coming and going. That's a shorthand way for the poet to talk about really the, the, the brunt of most people's lives, the nine to five of their existence. So the, the idea behind that is if you think about how cities were built at the time, uh, you know, the, most cities had a wall around them. That was what defended them if an army was coming to get them, all that. So the real estate inside those city walls, that's prime. Right? And they would pack the people in the houses in there just as much as they could so that people could retreat into the city if they needed to. But the end result of that is it meant for most people, when they're doing their 9-to-5 job, they, they leave the city to go out to their fields, to go out to their vineyard, to go where the crops are, to go where their workshop is. Right? And this phrase, your comings and goings, is talking about people coming back into the city at night and going out in the morning. It's a shorthand way to, to really describe the fact that, that this is what God is talking about. He's, he's watching over every area of our life, our coming and going. It's not just for travelers anymore. It's for all of us, and it's for every single part of our life. And not only is God watching out for us in all situations, the last line of the poem reminds us that it's not going to stop. The Lord will watch over your comings and goings both now and forevermore. Right? God's never going to stop being with you. He's never going to stop watching out for you. So, so what do we do with this, right? How do we apply this to our own lives? I mean, my guess is that most of us are not concerned with the specific things that the poet was concerned about. We're not worried about bandits on the road or slipping and falling to our death or, you know, the sun being too hot. Well, maybe this summer we've been worried about the sun being a little bit too hot. But for the most part, that's, that's not our day-to-day -day reality. Um, but we do live in a world where there's things that scare us or give us anxiety or that challenge us or that are difficult. So there's some parallels to build on. 
But before we think about what the poem is saying, let's think about what it's not saying. It's not saying, if you just remember that God's with you, you will never experience fear or anxiety or worry. Right? It, sometimes there's this idea that, like, well, you know, if you have enough faith in God, you won't experience fear or anxiety. And if you do, it's probably because you're not very good at this faith thing. Like, your faith is somehow deficient or it's not enough. And that is not at all what it's saying. Of course we are going to be afraid of things at times. Of course we will worry and have anxiety at times. That's why a lot of Christians go to counseling and get help from professionals and prescriptions. And I thank God for both of those things. They're genuinely helpful. But the fact that just part of the daily human experience of life, even for those of us who, who put our trust in God, yeah, this is a rough world and we experience that in our emotions sometimes. So some level of that is normal and it doesn't mean that, that our faith is, is not enough. So the psalm's not saying you're never going to experience those things. Uh, but I do think it's a reminder that what it's trying to say is like, look, even when you have every legitimate reason to be afraid, you are not alone. Right? E even when you experience anxiety or worry or difficult times in this world, you are not alone. God is, is with you. And knowing that we are not alone makes such a huge difference, right? I mean, if we can, let's go back to the story of the Tulsa Run uh, for a minute. So Martha and I, we decided we were going to run that race together. And we actually hadn't run together because our kids were little at the time, so we could never train at the same time. So we'd run at different times. But we actually, we got a babysitter. We're going to do the race together. So we start off, and we do the first eight miles together. And Martha's always been a better runner than I am. So, like, she's just breezing along. And I'm like, I made it eight miles. This is amazing. And then we turn, and we start to see that it's all uphill. And I have every confidence in the world that Martha can just power on up the hill with no problems at all. And I start thinking, I, I don't know if I can do this, right? I don't know if I can do this without walking some. But I'm like, well, I'll give it a shot, right? So I, I kind of start going, and sure enough, I just, I just physically couldn't do it. So I told Martha, I was like, look, babe, you want to finish this without stopping. I mean, just, you just go on ahead. I'm going to walk a little, run a little. I, I'll meet you there eventually. And she says, all right. And I watched, and she got about maybe 10 or 15 steps. And then I watched her stop and turn around and come back and say, you know, let's finish this together, even if we have to walk a little bit. So we did, right? We walked a little bit, and we ran a little bit, we walked a little bit, we ran a little bit, and sure enough, you know, we, we finished together. In fact, as we got close to the finish line, we're just neck and neck, and, and for just a second, I thought, you know what? I should sprint ahead of her so that I'm, like, ahead of her in the photo. <laughs> and then I thought, you know, that seems really petty, uh, even for you, Mike. So I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Actually, we, we finished crossing the line together. Um, and, you know, I just can't tell you how much that meant to me. But, like, that's just, a, that's just a dumb little road race, you know? But here's the thing. As good as it was to have Martha with me to finish that race, like, all of us, like, we're involved in a race that means a lot more and matters a lot more, which is why it is so good to know that we have somebody who is so much more powerful than my wife with us, right? We're on a journey through a world that is difficult times, but God is with us. In fact, if you just think about the very songs that we sang today, right, that song, Oceans, it, it talks about, you know, I'll call upon your name as I go out on the way. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders, right? Even when the waters rise, when things are difficult, we are not alone. That's why we sing songs like that. And our part, as we go through these difficult things, is not to say, I can never experience any of those things. Like, our part is just to simply continue to hand our fears and anxieties over to him, trusting that he can handle them. And just keep moving forward, right? Knowing that he's with us. In this world, there are things that should rightly concern us and cause us to be careful. But we don't have to be overcome by our fears. And there's a, there's a difference there, right? We don't have to let those external things control us or consume us. 
because God knows what's going on. And he's watching over us and he's with us. And he's not just watching over us from a distance, right? He's willing to step in between us and the sun and protect us, taking the, the heat on himself. And, and I think that's actually a really powerful way to think about what it is that God did for us in the person of Jesus, right? That the poem paints a picture of God standing in the gap. It really looks ahead to what it is that Jesus did. Because you see, when we accept his offer of grace and forgiveness, it's like Jesus steps in between us and the sun and takes on himself the hardships of the journey so that we can arrive safely home. And you know, if you are here this morning and you've never had that experience or you're, you're watching online and, and you've never known what it was like to have Jesus step in the gap between you and your fears, between you and the heat of the sun, between you and the things that are, are weighing you down, I would encourage you, man, you can change that today. Right? If you've never taken God up on his offer of love and grace and forgiveness, I want to invite you to see yourself in this picture. God wants you to make it home safely. Right? That offer of grace and forgiveness, it's here for you today. So if you've never taken him up on that, why not talk to somebody today about what that means? In fact, if you came with a, a friend, if somebody invited you, talk with them uh, about the difference that Jesus has made in their life. Or if you'd like, when the service is over, you can go out those doors to the right to the prayer room. And there's some people that would consider it a real privilege to hear what's going on in your life. What, what would it look like to open up a little bit more of yourself to whatever it is that God wants to do in you and through you? So here's what we're going to do to close the service out today. And in just a second, uh, I'm going to have you stand. Randy, the musicians, are going to come out, and they're going to lead us in a final song. And we picked this song because the, the, the lyrics to the bridge of this song, like they could have been taken directly from Psalm 121. It talks about how God is with us in our comings, in our goings, in the morning, in the evening. So we're going to sing that song together uh, after I pray. And then when that's done, I'm going to come up and, and dismiss you by reading the words of this psalm over you again. So as we prepare to sing, would you stand and just pray with me? God, I, I never cease to be amazed. Uh, by the fact that we can come to this text like this one that was probably written, I don't know, 3,000, 3,500 years ago, something like that. And it, it still speaks directly and powerfully to our lives today. Um, this is not always the easiest world to live in. And God, I, and there's a lot of people in this room today, I don't know all of them, but I know in a room this size, there are some of us who are here and there's changes coming that are scared for us. You know, for some of us, school starting up again, we really don't want to go back, but we need to. Or school starting in this next year means we're moving out of state. Uh, we're moving to a new school, or we're heading to the military, or we're heading into the workforce. And God, with those changes, there can be some fears and anxieties. Like for some of us, we're letting go of people as they move on, or we're, we're preparing to welcome people back in, and that may not always be easy. God, for others of us, I mean, I think about relationships that I know of, and there are, you know, within our church, there are people who are getting ready to get married, and they're excited about that, but there's some fear that goes along with that. And Lord, I know there are people who have fought for it, but their marriage is ending, and there's some real pain and questions that go along with that. Uh, we deal in this world with health that is up and down, but God, through the midst of it all, you are with us. So just as, as we sing this song, would you help us use the words of this song to allow your spirit to speak to our heart so that we can trust that you are with us, that you're watching over us in your comings and our goings, so we would receive from you what we need to follow you faithfully today. Amen.